We do stand on every promise of your word, for you are faithful, and Lord, we are not. Even if we are saved, Lord, we are still not faithful to you. We will fail, we will fall short, but not you. Lord, you have made a way for us who were unbelievers. We wanted our own way. We wanted the way of selfishness, the way of sin. We could not do good. It was our old way. But Lord, you showed us a new way, and we're going to see that today in Romans 6. Your promise that you will keep us in the new way for all eternity. Lord, you will keep us to the end. And that new way is a walk of faith in Jesus Christ. That's called sanctification. And Lord, we only get that because of the gospel way, Lord. The truth of your effective gospel. That's a free gift that you gave us that we didn't deserve at all. Oh, Lord, help us this morning as we wrap up Romans 6, as we look at your word and we apply it to our lives that we will see that Paul is emphasizing the whole shift from the old way to the new way is through the free gift of the gospel. And may we, Lord, hold that up high and forever praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up Romans 6, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 23. We recognize that Paul does draw a final contrast here between being a slave to sin and in our new way to be a slave to righteousness. Paul does this by shifting the discussion of what it looks like to be alive in Christ to the results, the outcome of gospel living. The result will either be the fruit of shame and sin, or it will be the fruit of righteousness. As we've seen in the previous message of Romans 6, there is no neutral state at all. We will either be for God or we will be against God. We will either be working in the field of Satan, which involves our flesh and the world, or we will be working in the field owned by our Father God. This is a clear distinction between those that reject the free gift, the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, and those who accept the free gift, which leads to righteous living and a glorious future. The question then becomes... If we are alive to Christ, what gain do we get from serving sin? If we are alive to Christ, what gain do we get from serving sin? Today, as we look at Romans 6, 20 through 23, we're going to look at it under three headings in your outline. First, the benefit of the old way being slaves to sin. Second, the benefit of the new way, being slaves to righteousness. And third, we're going to see the benefit of the gospel way, which is a free gift of God. So to get from our old way as an unbeliever 
reveling in sin to get to our new way as a sanctified walk with Jesus Christ day by day. We need the gospel way, the free gift, and that's the pinnacle, that's the focus, and that's what we celebrate here today. Let's go ahead and read Romans 6, 20 through 23 together. Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So first then, we must look at the perceived benefits of the old way when we were slaves to sin. Starting verse 20 there, you notice the connector for. Paul routinely uses this ongoing connector throughout the whole books of Romans. You can never even stop. You have to read it from beginning to end. Wouldn't that be a great scripture reading, right, Jason? For or because... When we were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Notice, 4 takes us back to the argument that we saw in verse 19. We are to present our members as slaves to righteousness, which will result in sanctification. So rather than presenting our bodies to further lawlessness, which is sin, As believers now, we are to present ourselves as being alive in Jesus Christ. There's a unity there. This is this ongoing state, this turning away from our old path, turning away from sin, and turning to God. This is the essence of what ongoing sanctification looks like. So verse 20 here reminds us that we were slaves to sin. And as such, we saw no reason, no reason at all to be righteous. Unsaved persons do not have a real desire or even ability for righteousness since they are essentially powerless to meet the standards of God. Yes, We do know many people who are unbelievers that act in decent, law-abiding, helpful ways, and they do a lot of good things for others. However, good works and religion as accomplishments will still fall way short of the perfection of character that God requires. In fact, as unbelievers, we were totally subservient to sin. It actually was against our personal will to submit to anything, let alone God. 
Our selfish desire is what ruled the day. It was greater than any desire that we had to be even freed from sin's consequences. As unbelievers, we had to be converted. We had to be reborn so that we would become obedient to the heart of the gospel, the free gift of Jesus Christ. Only then, through our conversion, through salvation, did we have new desires that were implanted into our heart that included righteousness and obedience. In other words, we must now act differently in our new way, in our sanctification walk, than we did in our old way when we acted in sin. All of this was brought about by the gospel. We must grow through this ongoing work of sanctification as we walk side by side with the fruit of the Spirit and with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit growing us into more Christ-likeness. But we must act differently. We must be full. We must be all in not part way. We must be fully committed to being a slave to God. That's what we are called to. That is our new way, our new state. One way to look at this text is the difference between can't and won't. Supervisors are constantly mentoring their staff and their employees to develop their skill set and to become better at their jobs. One key question that supervisors have to ask themselves is, is my performance issue with this employee an issue of can't or an issue of won't? Is it that the employee cannot learn the process or the skills necessary to do the position well? If that's the case, the employee should be not disciplined, but they should be reassigned, realigned with another position that aligns with their gifts and their talents. However, if the employee can perform the assigned roles and tasks, but it's an issue of won't, the supervisor must motivate that employee to perform those tasks or release them from employment. In the same way, the unbeliever can't, can't live in a way that honors God. Unbelievers are prisoners to their sin. It's not that they just don't want to obey. It's actually that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. So now, let's apply this understanding of verse 20 to verse 21. Read it with me. Verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Verse 21 then insinuates that there is a perceived benefit, a perceived benefit or fruit from doing sinful things that are against God's righteousness. However, notice that this entire sentence is actually a question. So, is it that there is a benefit for man to sin? Or is Paul trying to say here that there is no real lasting benefit benefit from sinning. Well, 
we are probably best to answer this question as yes and no. Yes, there is a perceived temporary short-term benefit from sin, or we wouldn't be tempted to do it. But that perceived benefit is at best short-lived, and it quickly turns into a negative consequence. Why do we know this? Because we've experienced it. We've been there. James 1 captures it for us. He infers that there's, if there was not a perceived benefit from sin, we wouldn't be tempted. However, in the moment, sin is enticing, and we perceive the benefits as satisfying our lusts, and we want it now. It builds and builds. And as a slave to sin, there was a perceived benefit. However, as we looked at this benefit, we saw that it was juicy. It was a luscious fruit. But it really wasn't. It wasn't a real benefit after all. Because when we got it and we bit into it, it was a rotten fruit. It will give us disease, even if it tastes good for a moment. So verses 20 and 21 teach us that unbelievers we see this perceived benefit of sin and that it ruled our decisions and our life. But thankfully, that was then. It is not now. In the second part of verse 21, as believers now, we are ashamed of those actions. And we are ashamed of any perception of fruit. Further, in verse 21 we see that there's a long-term outcome for all of sin, which is death. Paul uses the term ashamed here, and we must not overlook it. John MacArthur remarks, one of the marks of true salvation is a sense of being ashamed of one's life before coming to Christ. Am I alone? Can I get an amen there? Yeah, we were ashamed of who we were and what we did. Now we're on this side looking back. We are ashamed from the heart when we sin against God. Conviction of sin includes a sense of shame. But that's not who we are anymore. If we are saved, it's not us. If you are a believer in this room this morning you will be able to connect well to this quote from John Calvin. He says, As soon as the godly began to be enlightened by the Spirit of Christ and the preaching of the gospel, they freely acknowledged that the whole of their past life, which they lived without Christ, is worthy of condemnation. So far from trying to excuse it, they are in fact ashamed of themselves. Indeed, they go farther and they continually bear the disgrace in mind so that the shame of it, the shame of it, may make them more and more truly and willing to be humble before God. Paul is developing a contrast here between verses 21 and 22. Do you see it? 
Paul wants to motivate the Romans to present themselves as slaves to righteousness. This is a can issue. They are saved. They can and they must choose to turn from their daily deluge of temptations and embrace the way of righteousness. Here in verse 21 we see that the benefit or the fruit of sin is instantaneous and temporary, appearing to be of good value, but it quickly shrivels up and brings about death. For the unbeliever, the cycle of lust begins to take over, making them into a slave of sin, which then leads to death. Paul also makes it clear that for the unbeliever, the real, actual, long-lasting positive benefits from sin are just not possible. But now, as believers, the Holy Spirit empowers us to bring about good fruit based on our unity with Jesus Christ. So we can. In verse 22, we see the contrast to the benefit of the old way of living that resulted in the fruit of shame to the new way, the sanctification way of living. So let's now turn to that in verse 22 together, and point two in your outline. But now, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. The first thing we notice is that while verse 21 was in the past tense for the believer, Verse 22 is in the present tense. It's now. In the past, we were slaves of sin, free from righteousness, with a benefit or fruit of shame whose outcome is death. The amazing thing in verse 22 is something new has happened. What is it? The believer, having been saved or reborn through the conversion of the free gift of grace, the gospel way, is now enslaved to God. The new man is now free. He is free from the penalty and the slavery of sin. He now has the benefit or the fruit of sanctification with the final outcome of eternal life. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So in contrast with verse 21, the believer before he was saved was a slave to sin. That sin and rebellion brought forth a perceived fruit of benefit, which turned out to be rotten. The only long-lasting benefit would be not realized until he was a believer. And as believers, we look back on those actions that we did as unbelievers in sin with immense shame. The sad thing is, as unbelievers, we actually were not really ashamed of them. This is why the shame that we feel now as believers when we sin is a good fruit. It's a good fruit. Shame is a good thing. Shame leads to humility. As Calvin said, it leads us to redemption and repentance. It is a good sign that we are truly saved. When we become Christians, our hearts are changed so that we see sin for what it is. It is evil against God. We see our past deeds as shameful things. This is a good thing. 
it is a strong evidence that we are actually all in as believers. This is a wholehearted commitment by the believer to grow in Christ-likeness. This is what we call progressive sanctification. This is the new way that Paul is talking about here. This is why Paul links fruit as a result in sanctification. Fruit as a result of sanctification. He does not say that you produce fruit, which leads to sanctification. No, not at all. Fruit is a gift of God, and it starts at salvation. The moment you are saved, you receive fruit from the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones captures the essence for us. You have your fruit. You have got it. This is true of every Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. You cannot be a Christian without bearing fruit. He goes on to point out that we should not only see fruit, but we should see more fruit and much fruit as we grow in sanctification. This present possession of fruit then gives us assurance that if given the first fruits, the fullness of the fruit will come in at the end in the harvest. Theologian F.F. Bruce makes an important but frightful, frightful comment. He says, those who have no experience of past sanctification, excuse me, those who have no experience of present sanctification have no reason to suppose that they have been justified. The statement supports that like justification at conversion, sanctification is an immediate and an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, and it results in the fruit of the Spirit. We are continually receiving the blessing of ongoing sanctification, which results in good fruit, good benefits. So in verse 22, Paul is clearly trying to motivate the believer to continue to present themselves as slaves of righteousness. Now, we must recognize our past life for what it was. It was a life of ungodly selfishness where we were at enmity with our Creator God. So Paul has contrasted the benefit of being a slave to sin as shame with the benefit of being enslaved to God as sanctification. But before we leave verses 21 and 22, we must address the outcome, the outcome of being a slave to sin as an unbeliever. Verse 22 clearly says, it is death. This is eternal condemnation for the believer who refuses to receive the free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. This outcome is contrasted with the outcome of the present believer who is enslaved to righteousness. That outcome for the believer is eternal life. The commentators recognize the Greek terms here in a military sense. Being a slave to sin demands the wages, 
of eternal death. The unbeliever who refuses to bend the knee to Jesus Christ earns his wages as a soldier earns his wages. The general will surely pay what the soldier has earned. In contrast, the fruit of sanctification that the believer receives is not payment. It's not a payment for what he deserves. For all men fall short of the glory of God. The believer has not earned anything. Matter of fact, the only thing the believer has earned is condemnation as an unbeliever, which has now been paid for by the blood of Christ. But God, God's free gift of salvation, He brings about conversion, He gives us a new heart and a new desire for righteousness. The believer, based on the amazing sacrifice of Jesus, is now motivated to actually grow in Christ-likeness. The fruits of the Spirit become the rewards and blessings, and that they will grow with the believer over their lifetime until they become full and complete in the glorification of Christ at His second coming. The contrast we will see played out then in verse 23 is about the outcome, the outcome of either being enslaved to sin or enslaved to God. Verse 23 then becomes the capstone of all of chapter 6 that Paul has been building up to. So now let's turn to the third and the final point in your outline, the benefits of the gospel way, the free gift of God. Let's look at verse 23 together. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We noted, looking at verse 22, that spiritual death is earned. It is the wages of sin, which is a life apart from God. However, the contrast here shows us that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the magnitude of God's free gift. It cannot be earned by works, human goodness, religious duty, or anything that man can do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, remind us, For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a free gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. MacArthur states it well. If a person wants what he deserves, eternal death, God will give that to him. It is his just wages. And if a person wants what he does not deserve, eternal life, God offers that to him as well, but as a free gift, the only source of which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Tom Schreiner agrees that verse 23 captures the whole central theme with an impressive conclusion. Death is a merited wage, while eternal life is solely undeserved. Peter also validates the same truth in Acts 4.12. There is no salvation, excuse me, there is salvation in no one else 
for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus himself said in John 10, 7 through 9, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves, who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to him but through, uh, no one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. MacArthur connects this great theme of Romans chapter 6 for us. He says, Jesus Christ is the only way from sin to righteousness, from damnation to salvation, from eternal death to eternal life. It's all Jesus Christ. It is the gospel way. Now, if you haven't gotten the point yet, let me say it this way. The power of grace leads to a transformed life. The power of grace leads to a transformed life. The gospel way is the only way from our old way as slaves of sin to our new way as slaves to righteousness with the result of sanctification. The wholeness of life, which is a free gift of grace, is necessary for eternal life in heaven. Holiness is the fruit or the benefit resulting from the free gift of justification and its companion, ongoing sanctification. It truly is the greatest gift of all. We have been liberated as believers from sin by the grace of God. We've been liberated. Stop. Stop being distracted and lured into the field of Satan. Look toward Jesus with both hands on the plow, enjoying the fruit of the Spirit, plowing in God's field, in the field of sanctification, the field of righteousness. The actual practiceness, excuse me, the actual practice of righteousness is the fruit of grace in our lives. The actual practice of sanctification is the fruit, the peace, and the joy that God promises us. It is a free gift. It could not be earned. Leon Morris captures it very succinctly. He says, Eternal life comes as God's free gift, or it does not come at all. He calls the free gift of eternal life a present possession and a glorious consummation at the end of the age to come. Eternal life is in Christ. It is through Christ. It is bound up with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Union with Christ is the key. Jesus has accomplished it all. 
our sin, our righteousness, our inheritance, our eternal life. He is in heaven. He has already secured everything for us, even our glorification. It is actually written about in past tense in Romans 8. Check it out. So now, and in the future, you have eternal life. Already, but not fully yet. So live like it. Live as you now are, alive in Jesus Christ. Recall the question that I asked at the beginning. If we are alive to Christ, what gain do we get from serving sin? What gain do we get from serving sin? We saw that Paul answered that question in this passage today. Our old way of life as unbelievers was characterized by the fruit of shame with nothing of real value even in this earthly life. We saw the benefit of the new way in sanctification, having been saved by grace. We were working for God, growing in Christ's likeness. We found that in that God will keep us to the end and the outcome would be glorification. In verse 23, we saw that the benefit of the gospel, the gospel way, is salvation, which saves us and bridges us from our old way of unbelievers and being in sin to our new way. By the grace of God, we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are united with Jesus Christ through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection and His ascension. He is our Redeemer. Through the effective call of the gospel, we have been reborn. We have been converted. We have been given new hearts. We have new desires. We are now growing in the fruit of the Spirit unto eternal life. This free grace encompasses everything that we are to be as believers, which is captured in our union with Jesus Christ. Our unity in Christ is what brings about our adoptions as sons and daughters into God's family. Unity is in Jesus. Unity is the cornerstone of the church. It is the basis of marriage. It is the foundation of our families. It is the center of our community. It is the purpose of our life. We see this unification in Christ as we close with Romans 7.4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to one another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Remember the fields that Martin Lloyd-Jones described for us when we started chapter 6 in Romans? There was a field owned by Satan and a field owned by God with a road running down the middle of it. Before salvation, we were slaves of the field owned by Satan, where our thoughts and our actions were solely controlled by the flesh, the world, and Satan himself. We did not desire the things of God because we could not desire the things of righteousness. 
we were on the path of earned condemnation. This was our old way. But in a new way of living with God in sanctification, we are now willing to choose to be enslaved to God in the field of God. The new, week, the new way came about because of the gospel, the gospel way, which was our death, our burial, and our resurrection with Jesus Christ through the effective call of the gospel. In the new way now, we are dead to sin, but we are alive to Jesus Christ. As believers, we are now plowing in the field of God with our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Our unity is in Christ, and that fuels our growth and our sanctification. We know that there's going to be suffering and trials and persecutions in this life because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are unified with Him. Hmm. Satan, the world, and even the flesh conspire against us to distract us and even drag us back into disobedience. But our God is a great and a loving Father. He will discipline us. He will reprove us. He will keep us to the end, for He keeps His promises. He is faithful and true. God has given us a pearl of great value, a treasure in the field. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46, we remember the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. The man, discovering the treasure, was so joyful that he sold all he had to purchase that field. Again, a man sold all that he had upon finding one pearl of great value. Hence is the kingdom of heaven. He was all in. We enter into the kingdom of God through responding to the effective gospel call. We are redeemed, given a new name, and now delight in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. The old way, being slaves to sin, is now washed away, and the new way is choosing to serve God out of joy each and every day of our earthly lives. We want to. We desire to. We are not called. We are not called to add Jesus Christ to our lives as if he's some type of accruement. No, not at all. He is not fire insurance to keep us from condemnation. Neither is he asking us to simply apply his moral righteousness to our sinful lives. No, he requires us to be fully for him, to be all in. There is no neutrality. Our old nature must become less as our new nature in Jesus Christ becomes more and more until it is most and finally it is all. We are fulfilled in Christ's second coming. So pursue Jesus. Go to Him every day, broken, humble, discouraged, and dependent. He will bathe you in His Word. He will bind up your woes and He will give you His joy. Be all in. 
be alive in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ here today, what are you waiting for? Jesus calls you to be willing to be transformed by Him. He will grant you this free gift. It's entirely His nature to sacrifice Himself for you. The free gift is rooted in His holiness. Are you willing to exchange your rags for His riches? Are you willing to exchange your sin for His righteousness? Are you willing to die with Him in order to be raised with Him, to relinquish your slavery to sin and to put on His slavery of righteousness? It's a wonderful slavery. Slavery to righteousness. Your destiny awaits. What will you choose? You must choose to live by faith. Pastor Jeff preached from Luke eleven twenty nine 29 through 32 that no evidence is ever going to be enough to convince you to place your faith and trust in God. Nothing. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Today is the day. Live by faith, not by sight. Musicians, if you want to come forward as I close in prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, oh, that is so true of us. Lord, we still struggle even if we are saved here today. Sin can sometimes seem enticing. It can drag us away and we can fall into it. We don't always want to do good. We don't always want to bend the knee and be dependent upon you and grow. And, and, and when suffering and, and trials come, Lord, we just, we, we sometimes doubt you. We know it's for your glory and for our good, but couldn't there be another way, God? Oh, Lord, help us, keep us, strengthen us on our journey home. Grow us more and more into Christ-likeness. Help us to see the fruit of the Spirit already in our life that we got when we were saved. Help us, Lord, to put your power tools of your Word and the church and the families and prayer into play every day in our lives. Help us to grow and to serve, to be the light of Christ for all of those in our families and our communities and across these nations, Lord, that they would know that you are God and that they too can be saved from their path to condemnation. Oh, Lord, we pray now for all of those who are hurting. Lord, there's financial issues, there's physical issues, there's medical issues and health, there's struggles with relationships, there's, oh Lord, we are bombarded, our eyes get focused on ourselves. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, to have confidence in you, Lord, that you will prevail, 
that if we rely and trust in you and you alone and keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and plow in that field, that you will take care of our every need, our every want, and our desire, and we will find joy and peace and happiness even in the midst of these trials. Lord, I thank you for the doctors in, in your hand as you've been working with Abby and Max and um, in her pregnancy, Lord. We, we, are, we are thankful that, that, um, that they are paused um, and that the preterm labor has stopped and that, Lord, we pray for your, your hands of protecting from infection and helping the doctors get to the source of the issue. Oh, Lord, life is precious, and we feel helpless in these ways. And there's so many others, Lord, that are struggling in similar ways in their lives, where that's just out of control with a lost loved one or a health issue. Lord, they don't know where to turn. May they trust and have confidence in you and not fall into despair, not fall into disillusionment, not to turn away from you, but to trust in you, for you are their all in all, and you will keep us, as Paul has said, to the end. We can trust in you, for you are faithful. That is the gospel way. Lord, we pray this, that you would hear our hearts each and every day in Jesus Christ.